fun up there is to make other people feel good too. So, and if I'm using my time to the best of my ability, just have an honest reaction, then maybe you're getting around being vulnerable if you just react. Comedians Exposed, a podcast where comedians talk about vulnerability with your host, Deanna Kobe. Okay, you guys, thank you today for tuning in to to Comedians Exposed. We have Jersey City's OG as today's guest. He produces Riff Off the Cliff comedy. He produces Corgi comedy events. He was voted number one comic to go bird watching by Newsbeak Magazine. He performs and writes sketches, which you could find on YouTube. We are so excited to welcome the hilarious Ryan Rummel today to Comedians Exposed. Welcome, Ryan. Hi. Hello. Hello. Yay. Oh, wait. This is raw. Hold on. Oh, he's got his condom. His um, not coffee condom. Microphone condom. There you go. Being safe. Oh, okay. Very good. How have you been doing with all of the COVID? I'm just going to take this off after like uh, a few minutes, though. <laughs> okay. Yes. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm doing good. I want first, please, can you do everyone a favor? Can you tell us about your social media and where we can find you? I'm just on Instagram. I uh, There is a Twitter that exists, if you, but I've only twatted um, twice. Or, Twitter's not, weird, or, right? Yeah, it just seems like I'm already sucked into IG so hard that I don't have time for another one. I just don't have time for another one. So uh, it's just Ryan Rummel comic. We're going to go back to that at the end, but I just wanted you to do it at the beginning because, you know, as I'm doing this podcast, just for the everybody who's been listening, I've been reading more about doing podcasts and how to, you know, make them better. And apparently uh, one of the tips I came across was nobody apparently listens to whole episodes of podcasts, which I was shocked to come across. What? I do. Oh, okay. That's what I was just going to ask you. Do you listen to the whole episode of a podcast? Yeah. Thank you. What podcasts, what are some of your podcasts that you like to listen to regularly? Well, when I was working in a factory, I would really crush them. So there was like a lot of crime dramas, like small town murder. If I was like going to a state, I'd pick a small town murder one. And the, the two hosts are very unlikable, but they do so much research that they're just so good at the facts and and telling the story, but they're so unlikable. You just hate their guts the whole the whole time you're listening to it. But uh, they do a good job of telling a story. Crime Junkie, the uh, those two gals, they're good. Let's talk about the bird watching. Is there like a correlation, like because you're naturally curious and inquisitive because you yeah. like this this crime <laughs> stuff and then you watch birds is that what that is no i maybe i don't know but do you bring this any of that in your comedy like do you talk about some of the things you learn about in your fascinations with crime in comedy no not all the time it depends where you are i just feel like new jersey might have a lot of comedians because everyone's trying to oh uh, everybody's a comedian so like Everyone's trying to trick everybody here. So when you leave the state, everybody just thinks you're kind of like 
a wise guy. Oh, what's this guy up to? Where do you think that comes from then? Everybody thinks they're a comedian in New Jersey. Isn't that a phrase? Oh, everyone's no, a comedian. No, it is a phrase, but do you think there's truth to it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, you got to be pretty sharp to make people laugh around here. What do you think is about particularly being around here in like the Northeast and having and having to have that? Do you think it's necessary as like a survival? Yeah, it's just fast pace. Everyone's going a million miles an hour. Everyone's in fifth gear. What about you? What gear do you operate in? I like slowing down sometimes. What gear have you been operating in regularly right now in the midst of 2020 pandemic? When we were quarantined, I was living my best life. I was, uh, I had lots of little projects that I did. And then when comedy came back, it was like, let's do, let's go a hundred miles an hour. Let's do everything that I can. And now I'm like, slowing back down again and people and what has been i think the hardest part of not being able to do comedy regularly how is that has that affected you well i've been doing it regularly since june but the same you, fre- the- you feel do you feel like it's the same frequency that it would have been or the volume of shows that were happening pre-pandemic i feel like there wasn't as much opportunity in like this past June, even though there was opportunity, it wasn't at the same um, intensity. Agree. But it has like kind of ramped up again. And I think it's kind of like not, it's not going to get all the way shut off again. Like it did before. Like the faucet is just going to keep dripping, if not leaking. And you'll be able to get out there and, and do stuff. But before it was completely off three months was completely off. Did you do uh, Zoom mics? I am proud to say that I did not do one Zoom mic, and I'm sad to say uh, I was not invited to do any <laughs> Zoom mic. It made me angry that this is where we're gonna get our we're gonna get our human interaction. Yeah. It made me angry. Er, like it wasn't it wasn't helping. I know it helped a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it, it really made me upset. It's hard. It's one of these things like Zoom because it's I don't feel it's authentic connection. So you're having opportunity to like interact, but like there's so much about human connection that you're missing, you know, with Zoom. And I feel like it requires a lot more emoting and energy to emote like, you know, you, your face like you're like, OK, I have to keep a straight face all times because anything, you know, it's like the sleight of hand. You're like, oh, God, anybody will interpret your eyebrow going up or, you know, a little snicker and stuff. So but think about what yeah. if you didn't have it? What about those few months when there was no comedy? So nope. like writing. And then I was like, well, now this is old. This joke is old already. I didn't even get to say it. And that was that was like eating me inside because I wasn't doing wasn't getting that whatever comedy feeds my soul with. I wasn't getting it, but I was much more healthy. I wasn't drinking. I was jogging. I haven't jogged in so long. So do you think comedy makes it harder to keep your good habits? Oh, yeah. How come? For sure. Hanging out. You're hanging out with your friends and stuff. How'd you get into comedy? I, I took a class at Caroline's, but it was like more, I had always wanted to do it. And this forced me to do it. Although, and then after the first class, I was like, oh, well, I wasted uh, $300. Personally, a huge fan of comedy classes. I encourage everyone to take one. I, you know, I feel like it's a great introduction yeah. Well, I tell people it forced me to drop my balls. And even though I knew I was like, oh, 
I could have done this on my own. It made me do it. And then I, I went to every class because I didn't want to waste that money. But then I was also doing open, like as soon as I did the class, I went out and did an open mic on my own. And not a lot of people did that. They like finished the class and then they started doing open open mics and shows. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that well, that's not fast enough. That's no, but I feel like especially because hearing your experience compared to my experience, I took classes. And like I said, I took I loved the classes. I love taking comedy classes, but the open mics took me forever. I couldn't do it because it was so goddamn scary. What made you have the ability to just dive in so quickly? The other people in my class uh, were not good, but there were there were a few good people in it. I mean, Phoebe Robinson was in my class, so there were very good people in it, and then there were really bad people in it. So I was just like, "Well, let's hit the ground running." Like I'm, I, I once I did it, I was like, "I can't wait until next week." I got to go out. But you hard, huh? Yeah. Were you nervous doing it before you signed up and started it? Sometimes I still get nervous. Like I'll run around the apartment like a madman before a show. And like now that some people want to hang out, like before I have like a show, like a show that they know I care about. I'm like, stop calling me. Why are you calling me right now? I'm running around doing things and like talking to myself. I'm like, wow, you're making it worse for me. Stop calling me and bothering me on uh, game day. Do you have a process that you like to do to prepare before a show? Yeah, I do. If I don't eat before the show at the right time, I'll get too close to the show and I won't be able to eat because I'll be nervous. Does that make sense? You can't eat when you're nervous? Yeah, like I'll only have a few bites. But if I time it right, I can have like a full good meal and then the nerves will come in later. But if I wait too long, I'm like, oh, shit, the show is in like 45 minutes or 30 minutes or 20 minutes. It's all it's always different. Yeah. Like, I don't know when that time is. And then sometimes I just end up not eating. And I'm like, I'll get through the show and then I'll be starving or like half drunk. <laughs> and like, oh, man, I should eat. <laughs> I've heard that before. Uh, other people have said like they can't eat before they go up. The pregame jitters aren't going to hit until I, this time. And then I, as long as I eat before then. But it, what are it, you thinking? of when during the pregame jitters what are the thoughts that you're having getting the set that i want to have in order how do you remember your set i'll write it down a few times it depends how new it is in the very beginning of the set you can be with a lot of energy and then you want to end on a high note too so like the last bit should be a kind of a high energy bit as well so the serious stuff should go in the middle but What's some of the serious stuff you talk about? I do this one bit where it's not even like people snap at it and they they think it's more of almost more poem like. And they're like, was that was that's not really a punchline. And then I go into I realized that that wasn't a, a punch when it ended. It was like too serious and very existential. And then, uh, and then I realized how I can bridge that into a very high octane bit. And then the whole thing works together. But by itself, it's like, is this guy, uh, what is this guy doing up here? What so, do you think that adds to the experience for people? I'm just trying to make them get my big picture of what I'm trying to tell them. What's your big picture? Live life to the fullest and be nice to each other.
What, where did that come from? What do you mean? That's so what started that position? Like, why is that your. Just thinking about it, thinking about looking at the birds out in the park. (laughs) What do the birds make you think about out in the park that you got to live it to the fullest? Life and death and anxiety. Are those things that you think about equally? Yeah. It's all encompassing. Are you Uh anxious about life? No. Are you anxious about life? Yeah. Yeah. What about, especially because we started talking about the crime shows, you know, in the beginning, how you like crime. What makes you anxious about when you think about death? Nothing. Not not about my death. Who knows when it, you don't know when it's going to happen. But you, well, you don't want to have any regrets. But I I hope I live a very long time. Yeah. A lot of people are like, oh, the rock star, leave a hands, handsome corpse. But uh, no, nah, I want to get old as hell. I already look like an old sailor. <laughs> but it, you know, again, because you're you want people. Your big message for comedy is to live life to the fullest. So. Do you feel that, again, with the serious stuff that you bring into your comedy, do you think it helps your message and what you're trying to get across to people? I'm trying to uh, hide the pill and the cheese and put it in the dog's mouth. And I've been doing that. I've been doing the bit more and more. And I'm like hoping people uh, like because it's been such a tough year for everybody um, that. I'm tr- that's what I'm trying to do. I saw a guy shot to, uh, dead on the street on Sunday. Well, I didn't see, I was 40 minutes behind, but all the guys in the hazmat suits and stuff were there. Oh, wow. I didn't get a picture. I was too far away. But, and then I thought it'd be weirder if I pulled out my bird binoculars to get a good. Yeah, that uh, would, that would have been, I think, really. Um, it wouldn't have been a good look because I, I, I was in Mexico and I was the only white, like, I would have, it would have looked weird. The only gringo with binoculars looking. I don't, I don't think you being in Mexico though. I think anywhere, if you were somewhere pulling out binoculars to, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think uh, that's just universal. Don't do that. You never know when you're going to see a bird or a murder. They come in in handy. (laughs) You're having your binoculars. Do you, uh, do you talk about death in your comedy at all? Yeah. I got a whole graveyard bit. So you're having people wanting to take away to live life to the fullest, right? So how do you do that? How do you live your life to the fullest every day? Mm, I don't know. It's actually like Josh Wells says, you think you have so much stuff to do. If you just write it down, you, you really only have like seven things you can get done in a day anyway. So I try to do it like that. Call someone about a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta call someone about a t-shirt. <laughs> I got well, it just says birds on this list. I gotta call my local uh representative of Hudson County who voted to renew the ice contract. Oh man, I got I got a big day. I got a big yeah. day tomorrow. What's this gun about? I lost a gun and then I found a gun. Where where did you lose your a gun? My car I had a I had a gun in my car and, and my car got robbed. And then they got, they got the lockbox. And I thought, I thought my dad, dad, they were my dad's guns. I thought both guns were in the lockbox. And then I reported both of them stolen. And then I found one of them in the closet. So now I have my own illegal gun. Does that make sense? So I wanted to update them. I wanted to update JCPD and be like, hey, good news, bad news. Uh, you, you you don't have to look for both of them. There was only one in the lockbox. <laughs> oh my god! A little god. embarrassing, um, but I really thought we I had put both of them in the lockbox, and then I was put 
bringing them somewhere and my car got robbed. So you have at least one gun in your possession now. Yeah, I wish I had two. But what well, are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, I think maybe you should, if you get the second one back, I, I'll buy it off of you because I've been thinking myself of getting a gun. I feel like uh, it's time. Do you know how to shoot a gun? Yeah. And apparently, well, I shot guns with my sister, like uh, a little fa- family bonding. And she's a sweetheart, you know, meditates, goes to monk retreats, silent retreats for 30 days, uh, yoga, tea time, vegan. She has awards from the NRA. She is a good shot. And she, we were in the shooting range and she was teaching me, hey, Ryan, this is how you do it. <laughs> I was like, and uh, she was very competitive too. She went into everybody else's booth behind them. Like it was open. Like she wasn't like opening a door and going into their booth. But she was like, Ryan, I not only beat you, but like, don't worry. I beat you, but I also beat everybody that was in that room. She's somebody who you want on your side for the apocalypse, sounds like. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, for sure. So what would you say to people about, especially because guns are such a political issue, how do you feel about limiting or eradicating? I know there's so many possibilities when you have a conversation around gun ownership. So what do you think where we're at in America with guns? Well, the military style guns are what we got. You got to just get rid of them. So no automatics for personal use. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I should be able to have guns and everybody shouldn't be able to have guns. Yeah. Yeah. I'm allowed to have them and nobody else. How about that? Can we make that rule? All right. I actually don't have a gun and I don't think I should have a gun because I definitely know I don't 100% trust myself to not shoot someone. I'm just not that confident. Wow. Yeah. So maybe you shouldn't have a gun. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't. Uh, I wish I wish I could. It seems really cool and really powerful. It's actually the opposite, I feel, of vulnerability, which we I want to talk to you about. Uh, what's your idea of being vulnerable, Ryan? Well, uh, losing those guns made me feel. <laughs> um, yeah, you can be vulnerable on stage. That's Are you vulnerable about- on stage? I think I get very vulnerable on stage. Uh, I'll have to get up no matter what and just kind of feel what that feels like in in that moment. Like I did a mic the day after my dad had a heart attack and he was in the hospital. I, I got up like just to get out the funny things that I thought were funny at that time, like, you know, a couple hours later. Do you find it as a, a healing outlet? Sometimes it can be healing, but sometimes it can be detrimental, I think. How is it for you, like, in terms of when it's not good? What happens that it doesn't feel good? I don't know. I guess, like, there was a portion. The last few years, I've really been enjoying comedy. And then there there was a stint of, like, three years where I would just force myself to go up, even though I wasn't in a good mood. And some of my friends would be like, why are you going up? If you are not in a good mood, you're not going to make anybody else in a good mood. Like you're, you're getting addicted to bombing. You're like, you're angry. You're getting, you're like, no one enjoys that. And I was like, well, I just got to get up. Cause I still, I still want to do this. But then I came out of it. And obviously the best way to, 
have fun up there is to make other people feel good too. So, and then I guess the knack of it is turn when you don't feel good and just kind of turning yourself off. But sometimes I can't turn it off and, and I'll just be in a bad mood. Will you take that up there? Like you said, you sometimes for a while would go up on stage and be in a bad mood, but you still needed to do it. I feel like, again, the duality of comedy, like where comedy is, of course, you have the audience there. Uh, but you also have like this whole separate space where it is just for you, you know, and it's like you're not necessarily concerned about like the outcome of the audience like again because in comedy in theory you want to go up there you want to be funny and I just know again from my experience like it for me like that doesn't happen all the time like and it's really hard especially I find like to when I'm not in a good mood how do you get into that place where you're like okay I'm gonna do jokes now even though me personally I'm in a terrible mood what do you do to get to that Alcohol. Yeah, you drink. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, but uh, that can make it worse too. That that could backfire as well. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to lean on that crutch too much. So what do you do then? Like, again, what's your idea of vulnerability? Like when I say that word, because I feel like there's so many different meanings for people of what it means to be exposed, to be open Um, And then on top of it, like, again, particularly doing comedy. So for you, what makes you feel vulnerable either in comedy or in life? If you can just have an honest reaction, then maybe you're getting around being vulnerable. If you just react, if you don't stop and think about it, you have no time to like, I don't know. All right. Well, I'm going to give you an example. So I like to do, I I have so much fun doing data collection. You know, it's very important that everything that we talk about is rooted in in data. We don't want to generalize here. So uh, I asked people when they're vulnerable, what makes them vulnerable? So some people answered, and this is their answers. I'm going to see which one resonates with you. Letting myself be happy. Being honest with my therapist when I disappointed. What, huh? what is a ther- therapist? What is that? Do you have a therapist? No. You Have you ever gone to therapy? Just when my mom died when I was five. And then that was it. That was like once or twice. And I said, I didn't like, like a, this. A, few, a short time that wasn't like intensive, long term. I didn't really enjoy it, so they they made, let me make that decision that I didn't have to go anywhere. Probably you probably shouldn't let the five year old make that decision. You know, therapy I feel like is kind of a relatively new area where people are more open to talk about. You know, it, I don't think uh, the over. Oh the- yeah, yeah. So I don't have time. I'm no? very busy. You're busy. Sure. Where, where do you find one? I asked Tim Lowe and then he never called me back. Well, you could do through your insurance is one way, right? Insurance. You what is that? No insurance. No. No, I'm kidding. I have insurance. Oh, um, yeah. Tim Lowe. He, I don't think you could use him. I think that would be unethical. Oh, uh, I just asked for recommendations and then he oh. just never called me back. Oh, I could do it. I could do it over Zoom. Cause yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. Yes. Have you ever yeah. thought about doing therapy? 
Sure, yeah. But then you just kind of wait and you come out of the dark times on your own. Does comedy help you in the dark times? No. Mm -hmm. Comedy is for the good times. Oh, really? Yeah. But you also said how you make comedy so people realize they have to live life to the fullest, right? Yeah. So don't you think sometimes like bad times help you recognize like, holy fuck, I got to live this shit to the fullest because I went through that. I'm great right, yeah. here. Yeah. That's why I'm doing the comedy to balance out the, the dark times. Dark times. What do you feel resonates more with audiences is when you talk about things that are the happy times for you or the dark times? I don't know if you're just doing like, it depends. Like I've heard it said, there's a difference between a comic and a comedian. Like, you know, the comedian and you don't know the comic and the comic is just set up punchline delivery. You know, I don't know how you put those jokes together. Uh, premise set up uh, punchline. So if you're just reeling them off, but a, a comedian might be do, doing a story time and then you'll get to know them. So if I have more time on stage, I'm going to do the story. Yeah. If I don't, I'm going to try to maximize my punches. I only have five to seven minutes on a show. I'm going to do as many jokes rapid fire. But if I have longer time. You vacillate between being a comic and a comedian. Yes, I, I think so. Yeah. What do you enjoy more? I enjoy them both. That's a good question, though. I've never really thought about which one I enjoy more. Is, is this kind of time, I think, for a game of would you rather? Because I always like to get people to like pick a side, you know, push. The comedian, because you, you're telling more of a story. Give me one word that you would feel is the most vulnerable for you. Like, this is the word where I feel the most exposed. A word? Like, for example, me, like right now, like I'm really living in shame, right? I'm like totally like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like I'm loving it. I'm like, like for me, like especially with part of this project um, where my comedy is, it's rooted in just like, oh, this is I'm so ashamed of this, but I'm I'm leaning into it. So, yeah. What about for then that makes me feel really vulnerable, like that being Showing my shame off is like, oh, but I realize I feel like it's something necessary and like the growth process of comedy. So and I'm enjoying it because, again, it's like once you're there, like it's done. That feeling is lost and you can move on to something else. I wish I had a thesaurus right now. I don't know how I'm going to pick a word. What am I living in right now? Well, like some things like with vulnerability, like. Again, the whole definition is, is being exposed to being or potentially criticized. So like thinking about, okay, well, maybe inadequacy or again, shame or anxiety or this idea of rejection, uncertainty. Any of those could be like ideas associated with this idea of being vulnerable. Like you could think about physically vulnerable. Like are people going to judge you based on your physicality, you know, or are you going to be... Is something that you really, really, like that message that you want to convey that everybody needs to live life to the fullest. Like, what if people don't get that message? Like, is that? Oh, they don't. They don't? No? 
No, uh, I don't know. I wanted to say, how can anybody be vulnerable when everybody's just trying to survive 2020? Like everybody is being vulnerable right now. So I can't like pinpoint. Everybody is vulnerable. There's so much doubt in the year, you know, the pandemic and just civil unrest. So I don't know. Survival. Can that be my word? I don't it can be whatever you want. There's no right or wrong answer. So yeah, survival. So then thinking about vulnerability and survival, your ability to survive. Well, actually, I think that's kind of a great word that you chose because again, thinking about how your big picture message with comedy is live life to your fullest. So it kind of, I think, uh, complements that idea because you're, you know, survival is hard. It's hard particularly again, living right now in 2020, like to get up every day and live a life in spite of everything that's going on around us. You keep saying live life to the fullest, but I just, that was kind of just a way to sum it up. But the best way to be happy is endorphins on the brain and any way you can get them there. And the best way to get them there is by helping one another. So that is my point. Not live life to the fullest help like be nice to one another and you will be happy that that's that's the crux of the the thing that i've been saying on stage lately spread happiness help everybody yeah but what gives me anxiety is the finality of death and if and not knowing when it's going to end and if i'm using my time to the best of my ability so you think the, you are i try to but when I think I'm not, then I get anxiety. Yeah. How do you deal with your anxiety? All the things are very addictive. Like I started doing yoga during quarantine and now I have to do yoga like three times a week or I feel weird. And I'm afraid to try like really dive into meditation because then I'm going to have to be meditating all the time. So the the techniques are very addictive if you dive into your habits that aren't the best um, and what would those be sure, sure yeah let's go on a binge you know if you want we could do that but then we'll have to eventually got to stop and then do yoga <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite pose do you have a favorite pose uh, probably probably the morning loon <laughs> I wanted to know, as we're starting to wrap up, just some of your jokes. What would be one of your jokes that you'd be willing to share out with us that you feel either provokes the highest level anxiety for you or makes you uncomfortable, but you really like to do it because it gets back to your your big message of what you're trying to convey? Oh, that it comes back. Sometimes it's just a joke. They don't all lead back to the, the big picture. Oh, race stuff, because I don't want to look like a racist. Every white guy wants to not look like a racist. But what are you going to just not tell racist jokes? You're a comedian. You got to tell racist jokes. I mean, oh, you just reminded me of a joke that I did not write down yet. I was like, <laughs> hold on. I, I got to write this down. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there was a joke. I since retired it. Do not do jokes about Uncle Tom. It's almost like saying the N-word. 
Because so like there's a lot of nuance to the character of Uncle Tom. And when it comes from white guy, um, it's very hard to explain it, even though you think <laughs> that everybody's going to get it. There's a lot of nuance with that character and not everybody has the exact what an Uncle Tom is. Oh, man, I was never invited back to that place. Let me tell you that. <laughs> it's it's hard in doing um, jokes, especially, too, when you're talking about really contemporary topics that are so provocative. And when you're trying to get a joke solely with working on new, through nuance like that. It's hard. You got to have a lot of jokes before that that aren't what you want, but you're trying to get through and chisel through the joke to get to the, like you said, where you have the very carefully constructed nuance that you need to get your point yeah. across. Well, I just realized that it was, I mean, it was so many years ago, but I just thought it was always funny. And I, I still say it to just to like my family members. I'm like, my dad, my dad is a real Uncle Tom. My cousins call him Uncle Tom. His name is Tom, and <laughs> that's just for the family, I guess. So what about then a joke that you kind of do where you know the audience gets really uncomfortable, and you you could risk losing them? Cringy or, like, lose the crowd? Well, let's talk about the two differences. I guess because cringy just leads up to losing the crowd. Well, I don't... What is losing a crowd? What is that? You 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 can lose. Um, I don't know. Let me see. let me go through some. Uh, oh my god! Where everybody sits there, they look at you, and their faces are like little assholes because their mouths are so tight and pursed together. Something recently. Uh, oh, I did. Oh, I have a. It's so hacked to do a, a pedophile joke, but it's like a misdirection pedophile joke. But then it gets it gets an audible groan. And then I then I explained to the crowd, I'm like, yes, that is where the line should be. Now that we have found it, we can move on. I was dating a woman with really big hands. How big were they, you ask? Deaf people always thought she was screaming. <laughs> oh, speaking of deaf, um, when I climax, I go deaf. And my friends don't believe me. They're always like, you don't go deaf when you climax. Do you mean to tell me you didn't hear all those kids in that bouncy house? And then that gets an audible groan. And then I'm like, okay, uh, just checking, just checking where you guys are. That's, you know, but I feel like uh, I like how you check in with people after, you know what I mean? Because sometimes people will do things that are pretty outrageous and just keep digging and digging and digging so and i guess yeah, you know, what confuses me is when someone's like what come on that's you guys you don't like rape jokes it's like no they understood the joke <laughs> and yes they don't like they don't like rape they don't like pedophilia they're <laughs> pretty much always against these things so you definitely have to check in with the crowd because you, you got to be like, well, you know, it. you can't get angry at them. Like, you don't like my miserable joke? Do you like crowd work? No, I, got, uh, I, I wish there wasn't a crowd there at all. It's one of the muscles I'd like to get better at. Maybe that makes me, crowd work makes me vulnerable. Why do you think crowd work makes you vulnerable? Because I sat at home working on stuff and now I got to talk to someone I have no idea. 
who or what they're going to say or like, I just know when I'm in the crowd, I don't want to be talked to. So then I don't, I just think it's weird, sir. What do you do? I just think that's weird. Like, don't, don't talk. Like if I'm in the crowd, I'm like, don't talk to me. Just no. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's like that whole spectrum. Cause some people, some comics, like that's all they do. I see is just straight up crowd work, you know, when they will. Yeah, go, no, yeah. It's an impressive skill to have. But it also depends on the audience because a lot of audience doesn't want to be engaged with. Like you said, like some want to go strictly for the performance aspect. Like I just know, like I love sometimes like when you've seen a comedian and they've done the same set multiple times, but you see it with different audiences. Uh, it's such a different experience and it's a craft because again, it's like they're doing the same exact thing over and over again and to be able to do that and keep it fresh, you know, it's it's not something that is an easy, easily acquired skill. I'm getting more and more surprised at the audiences that like do like they they love the uh, crowd work. That's what they like. It's a whole nother arena. No, it's different. It's very different to do crowd work. It's like a completely different muscle to exercise as well with comedy writing. Cause it's, you know, like you said, like you sit down, you prepare something. And like you said at the beginning, like how you ha- get nervous beforehand, you got your preparation, all this time you go through. So then, you know, to go through all of those hours of writing and preparing and then only getting seven minutes on stage. And all of a sudden this person just could completely disrupt the whole thing well yeah and then sometimes you spend your whole set on this person and you didn't really get to work on the thing that you wanted to but you still feel the high of like like it worked out like you did all right you did good um everybody loved it but you're like i didn't get to try the one stupid joke that i wanted to try and then you're like well i better go out and do another one and like I don't know. It like feeds into it. Maybe maybe one of my coping mechanisms is com- comedy and going yeah. and doing it more and like chasing it. I mean, comedy is a great, you know, a way to d- establish connection with people. I feel like that's a great reason to chase it. But what else for you does comedy give you in your life? Like aside from. It definitely makes you high. Yeah. There, yeah. It definitely does. Um, and sometimes you should enjoy that, like l- kind of lament in it. Cause I remember there was one time I was like headlining a show. I don't headline all the time, but I headlined a show. It went well. I had a blast. And my buddy told me, he's like, you're going to do that open mic tomorrow at three in the afternoon. I was like, yeah, you know it. <laughs> and I shouldn't have, I should have enjoyed that moment and i was just like no i gotta do this and then it was awful and then i was like oh yeah this this sucks when i could have like felt that high for like another two days or like another 24 hours at least i didn't need to erase it you know eight hours later but i think isn't there something kind of cool about that experience of how like you can feel really good and then just be brought back down so quickly you know there's something humbling about it yeah yeah it's wild <laughs> it is a wild roller coaster this comedy nonsense would you ever stop doing it oh no as soon as i did it for real like a real show 
I went up to my buddy and I was like, I'm never stopping this. I'm never going to stop this. Uh, well, Ryan, we've really enjoyed that you have been able to sit down and who's we questions on the listeners. Okay. Oh, oh, I just thought it was multiple use. No, it's just me here, but we are going to be, you know, sharing what we, it wasn't a private conversation between just us. So that's why I thought you were, this is like an interview for you being my therapist. Oh, Oh, no. How weird would it be like doing zoom over therapy and your therapist records everything? Like, yeah, think about I'm that? not creepy, right? Uh, I'm not going to a therapist. It's fun. And tell them your secrets. Yeah. It's crazy. And then they can keep it all, all your information. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I like about comedy, though. I feel like once you say these things you're like all right who gives a fuck anymore now like at that point like you've already established your crazy threshold yeah don't you guys have friends just tell your friends this stuff <laughs> no oh oh i'm so oh, i'm the crazy one. Oh, it's got a guy the guy has to have a doctorate it can't just be your local friendly Garbage man that you you, you, know you randomly stop on the street and complain about your life's problems too. I've had I've had five murders confessed to me by strangers, and I'm like, what is it about me that people will just people like to tell me secrets? And I'm like, hey, buddy, this is our. I just met you. Oh my goodness, that's. I wonder if they could sense that, especially too, like with your crime interests, like maybe they realize like that. Don't you're- tell it to a comedian. <laughs> I have lots of bits about. Maybe you'll immortalize them and make a bit about it then. Yeah. I mean, these are stories for another time. Well, I just want to thank you again. If you tell us your next show where everybody can see you and find uh, you. Right now. I mean, the, the I got my riff on uh, riff on the roof, not off the roof, for liability's sake. That is uh, December thirteenth, but it's sold out, so you can't go. Well, you can go, but it's sold out. Comics can go, but all the norm, all the all the normie seats. Are gonna- <laughs> um, Tell those people though what they're missing out in life by not doing it. No, no. Okay, you don't want. <laughs> You don't want to encourage more people to do comedy? Is that what it is? Absolutely not. I thought we were going to get rid of them during the pandemic. It seems like there's 10% more of them. Zoom mics have really amped up the number of comics out there. It's like, Stay oh my in goodness. The Zoom world. I didn't go into their world. Why they got to come into mine? Ryan, thank you so much for uh, doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. It felt really good. This is my first therapy session in years, so... I mean, not court-ordered therapy. I mean, I came here voluntarily. Therapy's awesome. I love therapy. I know you do. What is that supposed to mean? Nothing. Judgy wudgy was a bear, okay? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's wonderful. It is. It's, like, very freeing, and you don't have to then burden your friends with things that are, like... Spread it out. You got to spread it around the the friends. You can't overwater one plant. You got to water all your friends with all your problems. No, but then your friends get your best self. If you have one point person that is paid to... You can talk about whatever the fuck you want and unload whatever the fuck you want. 
And then it's like, oh, great. You could just be your best selves with your friends. I hope I am. I hope I am. Thanks for doing it, though. I hope it wasn't too painful. Mm-mm.